I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, 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 it's time for Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century from I Love Lucy to News Radio. I'm your TV guide, Brett White, and I'm also a reporter, producer, TV journalist type human being for Decider.com. And this week I am joined by two very special guests, uh, the author of Golden Girls Forever, an unauthorized look behind the lanai, Jim Colucci. Hello. <laughs> and the author of Drag Combing Through the Big Wigs of Show Business, Frank DeCaro. Hey. <laughs> Hello, Frank and Jim. How are y'all doing? Oh, great. Good. Just so for, glad to talk to you. Considering all that's going on in the world, we're doing pretty darn well. <laughs> so thank heaven for that. Yeah. Are y'all finding a lot of, is this good for work? Or are y'all like, oh, no, I have to work because I don't have anything else to do? Well, it's demotivating because when you think about a long-term project like writing another book, it, there's a part of you that thinks, I could work on that. Maybe things will be back to normal and people will be going to stores and buying books in the future. Or I could take a nap. So <laughs> that part's tough. But the good thing about working on a project that is kind of a self-starting project like a book is that, you know, I, I, so many people, of course, have been laid off or can't go to their jobs or have to go and risk their health. And we, we can't complain about any of that. We can work at our own pace. And in terms of interviewing people, uh, it's been a great time to get people on the phone to talk about classic TV because, yeah. first of all, they have no excuse why they can't do it. They can't say, I'm sorry, I'm traveling, or I'm busy, or I'm working on a show. And also, it's kind of been therapeutic for both me and anybody I interview to spend a couple of hours every day in the 70s or 80s where things seemed a little safe. So, oh, yeah. It's that been is. kind of nice, you know, <laughs> mentally taking a little vacation back in time. But it is strange to come in from walking the dog and hear Elka Summer on the speakerphone. <laughs> you know, and you're like, he's talking to Elka Summer from the Oscar that we watched the other night. You know, <laughs> some crazy cult movie that I've decided we needed on Blu-ray. And I've got Jim chained to the couch watching it. And, uh, and suddenly he's talking about uh, the love boat, with, uh, a, a, you know, Swedish bombshell. She's Swedish. German. German bombshell. <laughs> Same dip. No. Bombshell and tea, I feel like oh. in I feel like I am the Frank in my relationship because I do feel like I have my husband chained to the couch while I cycle through watching in order episodes of The Lucy Show, Green Acres, Batman, That Girl, I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched all in air date order as they aired every week and just cycling through all of them and luckily that like he 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 likes old television as well and he's really taken to um green acres which uh he was surprised by because he was like when i was a kid and this came on it's so 
gross. Like, it's just so, like, drab and everything's run down on Green Acres. But Ava Gabor is so funny. <laughs> so it's yeah, like it's surreal. It's more surreal than you remember. That's yeah. And I've seen it as an adult. I, I actually never saw it as a kid. It kind of it went off the air before I was awake or alert. And I, I don't think it was in reruns much when I was growing up. But I always thought, oh, it's going to be this corny horn, uh, corn, corn, what is it, corn pone? Corn, corn pone yeah. sitcom. <laughs> And I, I didn't think much of it until I really sat and watched it a couple of times. And a couple of episodes are just so surreal and yeah. weird. I thought, wow, this is really funny. Yeah. yeah of, of the countrified shows, it is by far the most surreal and sophisticated. And I think that makes it hold up better. You oh, know, yeah. the, way, the way, and this might be fighting words for some people, <laughs> but Laverne and Shirley, even the California episodes to me hold up way better than Happy Days because it's physical shit. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, them, them having to change the sheets with a comatose patient in them uh, in a high <laughs> candy strike, that's funny no matter what decade you're watching it in, you know? So, yeah. And Happy Days can, it can air a little bit more on the like, you know, 70s version of Full House. Like it kind of like, it can get kind of schmaltzy at times. Uh, I mean, I love it too, but it doesn't hold up in the same way uh, that, I don't think you had to be there for Laverne and Shirley. If if you like physical comedy, you could watch. It holds up. I also, I love what following uh, Frank on Instagram because you've been posting every day like a new Here's Lucy uh, guest starring photo from your here's lucy journey i'm on a lucy show journey so i guess i'll get to here's lucy next well it depends on how let's put it this way (laughs) we we before this all started between christmas and the beginning of quarantine we binged all of life with lucy i want to say something controversial here life with lucy is better than here's lucy so Life of Lucy is her 80s show, right? That's- yes, 1986, the one season, one, yeah. you know, 13 episode uh, thing she did that at the time was viewed as a disaster. And yeah. critics were saying she's still doing physical shtick and she's going to hurt herself. Yes, it is true. In the <laughs> in the moments when she does physical shtick, it's, she's still good at it, but you're now you're worried for her. <laughs> yeah. But there are other moments, there are other elements of the show that are actually really funny and really well done. So I like it better than Here's Lucy. I would say it's no worse than Here's Lucy. That's as far <laughs> as I'll go. Um, but I do. I have a fondness for everything that she does, even name. I mean, you know, her movie I, that everyone derided. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love it. But there's something about watching um, these stars, particularly the female ones in, in Here's Lucy. I think the 70s was when uh, all of the, the female stars were – getting on in years a little bit suddenly started to look like drag queens. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, when you, when you look at, uh, you know, Patty Andrews of the Andrews sisters, yeah. I posted that picture and someone immediately put Is that Evie Harris from girls will be girls. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's, it's not Jack Plotnick in a dress. It's actually <laughs> one of the greatest female girl group singers ever. Although I can see making that mistake. Oh yeah. No, they totally look like Dusty Springfield is lady bunny. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I've been so know, like Lucy yeah. 
in the season I'm watching, 1966 to 67, is like the season that they just discovered hippies and like mod culture and stuff. So every yeah. epi- every show is doing it. Like I just watched Get Smarts, like hipster party one. And yeah. there have been two Lucy ones. And both times that Lucy puts on like hipster mod gear, I take a screen grab and I'm like, it's Trixie Mattel, but brunette. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's uh, what the style is. <laughs> it's so funny because that was something as a kid that I was fascinated by. You know, I was born in 1969. I'm only admitting that for really, I guess. <laughs> and so, you know, 1969 was a time, obviously, where the world was changing so quickly. The 60s had gone from one conservative extreme to a, a liberal and or, or at least youth dominated extreme at the other end. And so then in the 70s, when I come home from school and turn on the reruns that would be running, they mm-hmm. would often be 60s shows. And I'd be so fascinated by well, it's a weird time that I was born into. And, you know, Get Smart ran 1965 to 70. And so you can see the evolution even within that time frame of the haircuts get yeah. longer and the clothes get more hippie. And so I'm always fascinated by sitcom depictions of hippie life because they were still so sanitized yeah. and probably way behind the time still because older writers were kind of, it was only filtering through to them what hippies were. But it's just so interesting to see like what, people thought and what writers thought was weird and avant-garde in the 60s. Yeah. I also think they were, they were operating under a system of censorship yeah. or, you know, I mean, they had to play it safe and play it conservative in, in, in those years. Um, Here's Lucy for me is fun because they're really little variety shows that oh, make yeah. no sense whatsoever. I mean, we watched one the other night and it was just, uh, they go to Carol Burnett's show, sit in the audience <laughs> Beg her to be a guest at the kids' high school musical. So that they can raise money for a new gymnasium. For a new gymnasium. Course, and yeah. suddenly there's there's this big, uh, you know, production number. And Lucy well, and Carol. the rest of the episode are, is just one block scene of that musical. And, yeah. and Lucy and Carol changing costumes multiple times. For some reason, even though it's a kids' high school musical, the entire musical is Lucy and Carol and the kids are barely in it. <laughs> I and then, of course, there's a big, big gymnastics number, which uh, I have to tell you, I really think was uh, was Mr. Carter, Harrison Carter, you know, uh, Gail Gordon's, you know, fantasy. I do. I mean, I want to believe that he was a, uh, you know, they said he was a confirmed bachelor on the show. And it uh, was according to one episode, it was because he, he was in love with Ginger Rogers. And so that's, that's why he gay. never met the right girl. <laughs> so in code, we're saying he's a bit gay. And so when there was a big uh, gymnastics number, I was like, you know, maybe Mr. Mooney wasn't a gay, but Harrison Carter <laughs> of the Unique Employment Agency is definitely a big, very queer. That's what's unique about it. <laughs> I love, oh, I love that. I I just watched in the in that TV season that I'm watching on the Lucy Show. Carol Burnett does that two issue, that two episode stint where she's Lucy's roommate for just two episodes. Yes, uh, yes. And watch it because that is like '66, so it's a couple years before she gets the Carol Burnett Show, but it's right after she did like other variety show stuff. And it's so cool because you're watching the redhead of the '50s pass the torch on screen to the redhead of the '60s and '70s, and it's just cool to see kind of Lucy just like step back and be like here carol Burnett, do go go to town like yeah. it was just like me and my husband were just like what did we stumble onto i don't i did not know this existed which is the fun thing about watching these old tv shows is when you stumble across like i had no idea this moment in tv ever happened it's super uh super well, cool and we're always watching because you know carol cook who's a brilliant comedian and, uh, and still in- at age 96 i think it is <laughs> a brilliant comedian 
she's still she can knock it out of the park. Yeah. She's hilarious, but she uh, keeps turning up even in this Carol Burnett episode of Here's Lucy. <laughs> she was kind of asking questions from the audience and being annoying. Um, and it's funny because she was a Lucy protege, and so you see her. She's one of the women on the fire uh, in the Lucy show. She's on one the of the women on the yeah, fire brigade. Yeah, yeah. Um, just watch so, that one so you see her pop up in different places and she's and, often the singing voice of lucy like ah, in that episode with carol burnett all, all of right. those musical numbers they're doing she's lucy's singing voice yeah it's funny to know that um and even stranger when you start watching these things and you've met a lot of these people you know it's, <laughs> or your facebook friends with them or something and uh, yeah it's it's a my therapist 20 years ago said to her little kid at the time she said he wants, he says, I want to go inside the TV. And I told him you can't do that. And I, and I was like, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> you know, and, and I've got the lunch dates to prove it. You can go inside the TV and, you know, sit with uh, uh, Marsha Wallace and Brett Summers so at yeah, lunch. We have done things like that. That's you know? what, like, so when I started at my job at Decider, one of the first things I wrote was, uh, here's why millennials should care about Bob Newhart. Um, because I, I'm born in 84, so I'm like an old millennial, but I'm very bitter about that term because people usually refer to it as like people born in the early 90s. And I'm like, no, no, no. I firmly remember old television before the internet, etc. Um, but anyway, uh, Bob Newhart's secretary, like, emailed my boss to get my email address to then send me a note from Bob. Uh, and then I became like, I've become like email pen pal sort of with Bob Newhart, which is the most oh like... My God wild thing and i told my therapist at the time i was like so many of the people like charles nelson riley is one of my like biggest personal heroes i uh, he's on my iphone case like uh and you know he passed before i could ever even get a chance to even come close to meeting him but it's like getting that email from bob newhart felt like an entire generation of people that i grew up watching and admiring like patting me on the back in some weird way <laughs> and and now i just get emails from him that say like sent from my ipad which is just <laughs> the most delightful thing Ugh. but yeah i mean yeah y'all's lunch dates have got to be well back when we could have lunch dates when we could have them <laughs> well the other fun thing about where we live we live in studio city california which is right by where where bob newhart and mary tyler moore were oh. taped at cbs it's now called cbs radford and so it's it's where one of the studios is but also it's just where a lot of these actors of that generation settled within la and so, so many times we go to restaurants for lunch and it's just, it, if you are a TV fan of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and you love character actors, you're in heaven. It's a candy store because, okay. you know, you go and, oh, there's Donna Pascal. There's, you know, <laughs> there's Billy Mummy from Lost in Space. And in the next booth is one of the Brady husbands, you know, from that series, Jerry Hauser, and, you know, and uh, we had a whole like we we were seated next to marvin kaplan at lunch one day God. while he was still living and we debated should we bother him because he had an aide with him he was quite old and we talked to him and you know then he talked our ear off for the next hour became a hostage situation with somebody who was a voice on top hat and sat at the end of the counter on alice and we're like we're never gonna leave this lunch and it you know it, it's it's very fun and you mentioned charles nelson riley and i'm gonna name drop oh he made me alphabet soup for lunch and that was a hostage situation i it was supposed to be an hour interview and four and a half hours later i was still sitting there the one man show answering machine messages from angie dickinson and we were and wasn't he wearing a night shirt he wore a night shirt and a baseball cap and scuppies 
And his dogs barked to go out. What were his dogs' names? Lyle and Eric, like the Menendez brothers. <laughs> Eric and Lyle. And, <laughs> and he said, I'll be right back. It won't be long. It's only two stools. <laughs> and then he went and picked up after his dog. Oh. So, uh, but, but it was deranged. That is the, forever. That is the really dream. Fun. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about Golden Girls, but... So we can get to the Golden Girl stuff in a second, but I wanted to ask you about the history of like where drag and sitcoms overlap, because it's kind of one of like the oldest tropes in like TV history is like the character getting into drag to like, you know, go undercover or I mean, bosom buddies. There's a whole show based around that. So I don't know, like how much yeah. of that did you get into in your book? In my book, Drag, Combing Through the Big Mix of Show Business, there is uh, an entire chapter about drag on television. I do drag in the movies, drag on stage. But drag on television, generally the trope in the 20th century was take the hairiest, <laughs> most masculine, most unlikely person to do drag. Put him in a dress, and in the real world, he wouldn't fool anybody. And a straight man will fall in love with him Inevitably. in about 30 seconds. <laughs> that, that is generally the story as it happened. Two best examples are not only Abe Vigoda, right? Abe Vigoda. <laughs> I talk about that and talk about um, uh, Max on Heart to Heart. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you, you kind of you immediately think of Jamie Farr on MASH. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Jamie Farr is as hairy as I am, you know. And, and totally, he didn't really do makeup or anything. He just put a dress on, and that was kind of regular guy sort of thing. Yeah, as guys do. As yeah, guys exactly. do. Yeah. In our house. <laughs> so but, uh, there are a couple of episodes. There the, as you mentioned, the going undercover thing was always sort of a, a, a good way to do it. it would, someone who would, would have uh, would be the excuse to get in drag because they were a cop going undercover or an investigator or whatever. And there is an episode or a number of episodes of Barney Miller where each of the guys had to put drag on. Maxwell Gale and Ron Glass. And Ron Glass was pretty cute in drag. But <laughs> Abe Bacoda, you, looks like someone from a Hadassah meeting. You know, I mean, you immediately <laughs> see him and he's like a lovely old widow, you know, kind of thing. But uh, it's kind of deranged. And he looked episode. just like Boris Karloff in Dragon, that episode well, of Uncle. They uh, kind of look the same. Yeah, there's an episode, a famous Girl from Uncle episode called The Mother Muffin Affair, and it's Boris Karloff in a female role. Not <laughs> in drag. Like a it's Louis a Anderson on Baskets kind of situation. Yes, like, yes. Exactly. So there's that. But and also they would do, you know, I mean, on Abe Bakota is in the park on mugging detail, and uh, someone falls in love with him who's never had a gay urge in his life, and still wants to have an affair with him, you know, and uh, it, it's it's deranged. So um, <laughs> there's that trope, and then there's one on Heart to Heart. Uh, not only does Jonathan Hart, uh, Robert uh, um, Wagner. Wagner, oh my God, end up uh, in drag. At a spa where Carol Cook is one of the people there. Oh, it's connected. Carol it all Cook. comes back to Carol Cook. Um, but there's also an episode where uh, Max, yeah, you know, Lionel, uh, you know, Lionel Stander, uh, goes into a walk in closet and then when he realizes he can't get out uh, without <laughs> being seen, puts on drag. Uh, and, you know, he looks like a basset hound, practically, yeah, you know, and, and, in a dress. But he comes out and he just, he looks at the, the straight couple and we're having an affair in the bed and he goes, they're coming out of the closet. And he walks <laughs> out of the room. Uh, so I, I think, <laughs> I think one of the reasons it's handled in, a, in one of the rare non-homophobic ways is because Mark Crowley, Crowley yeah. who wrote The Boys in the Band, 
was one of the executive Executive story consultants of like every episode. So there he was. And, and at the end of it, instead of it being, you know, Oh my God, I can't believe I was in a dress. He comes, Max comes back and says, Oh sure. When he was, this, this guy who was flirting with him, he goes, Oh sure. When he was drunk. You know, he, he was promising me a trip to his diamond mines and you know, or nickel <laughs> copper or some ridiculous thing in South America. And then he sobers up and, oh, suddenly I'm not good enough for him. <laughs> and you can keep him. And it's like, it's kind of brilliant because that's so much funnier than homosexual panic yes. as, a, as a reaction. I have him be like, men, because he does. He literally says, men, you can keep them. And it's like, that's kind of brilliant. So you I'm never so, think Max uh, is gay. You know? I'm so I mean, shocked that Heart to Heart actually came up because I am currently... Uh, I just did a whole uh, just mini episode of me talking to the audience about my current obsession with Heart to Heart. Uh, oh, we, we do too. We because are too. I've never seen it before. The we last actually year or so. were at a, a cabaret event just before the quarantine, maybe January. And there was a little after party and we cornered Stephanie Powers, oh like God. literally had her backed into a corner by the bar and we kept bringing her with Heart to Heart trivia. And then I was like, oh my God, we've literally trapped this woman. So we let her go. <laughs> But it was she's she's lovely. Oh. I mean, she is gorgeous. Still. She is gorgeous. <laughs> but like, yeah, I remember yeah. when I was like just a little gay, like you know, a child. Heart to Heart was a show that would come on before or after something I was actually watching, and like I didn't understand why I just wanted to look at Robert Wagner uh, just all the time. Um, and then I just watched the most recent Natalie Wood documentary on HBO, and that because I watch. Right. I'll watch any Natalie Wood documentary just so I can look at pictures of Robert Wagner. And after that, I, I discovered that like Heart to Heart is on Prime Video. The first two seasons are. And I was like, oh, this this is going to be a problem. And it is very much a problem. And I've currently pitched an article. Heart to Heart is Heart to Heart is for the gays, question mark, which I hope gets approved because like the show is super gay for that exact reason. Like Mark Crowley's on it. Robert Wagner is inexplicably shirtless in every episode. Um, yeah. The same uh, is the same. uh Dynasty fashion director did like all the well, fashion. Nolan Miller. Nolan did, Miller. I mean, yeah. No, yeah. Did he do that? Well, I, he must have worked on Heart to Heart too because it was also spelling. Yeah. I know Nolan yeah. Miller was on Love Boat and Dynasty and certainly worked because like everything yeah. Robert Wagner wears, I just want all of it. Uh, and then Stephanie Powers, of course, just looks amazing all the time. And then the show is just like campy. It's so great. And it's been a weird comfort well, watch. Well, and, and, you know, it, not only are there rumors about Robert Wagner, but also <laughs> uh, it, there have been over the past few years, a couple of pitches about doing a gay version of Heart to Heart. Oh, right. Reboot. So I think Alan Cumming was one mm-hmm. of the leads of one of them. Like, so, you know, it is bubbling in the ether that there's a gay connection between, I mean, there's a connection with gays and heart to heart. Yeah, I've I, never seen it before recently. And so they're all new to me. So it's very fun. And uh, and it's just, I do prefer the, the lighter ones. Although I have to tell you, we're having a Barnaby Jones moment oh, lately God. in the last, <laughs> the last couple of weeks. Um, it's sort of been Lee Merriweather week in our house because not only are we watching her on Barnaby Jones, but she just played the butch lesbian in The Legend of Lila Claire. She <laughs> was played. We watched Fresh off, yeah. <laughs> it's only 50 some years old. But, um, and we watched I'd never seen it, and I had always wanted to, and uh, I made Jim suffer through it last night. God, it was unwatchable. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> uh, well, we could just keep jumping through the decades, but I do believe this week we are going to be traveling specifically. <laughs> To January 12th, 1991, Home Alone World the Box Office, Justify My Love by Madonna topped the charts, and NBC aired the Golden Girls episode, Sisters of the Bride. Uh, Jim and Frank, you must have seen Sisters of the Bride before today. 
Oh, many, many times. <laughs> know it by heart? <laughs> yes. Well, Jim knows them by heart. But I have to say, we sat down and watched it again early today. And I am dazzled not only by the, the acting, which I knew, but really the quality of the writing is so sharp. There is not a lost laugh no, in 26 no. and minutes. It's season six. It's genius. Like, that is the thing with the Golden Girls is it goes through different eras, but it ne- yes. none of them are bad. Like, it's just, I know, it becomes the best version of that era. Unlike Friends, which I have hot takes that, like, second half of Friends is a best version of a show that's way less good than the first half. But, like, that's a, yeah. that's a hot take. Well, I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily <laughs> agree with that about Friends. But the funny thing is about Golden Girls, I'm glad to hear you say that. Because I, I, I found when I would talk to fans writing my book, Golden Girls Forever, yes. that... People, What's it called, Jim? It's called Golden Girls Forever. <laughs> I would find that people, some people would be purists and think that either the first era or the second era, and there really is a dividing line because yeah. after season four, the show lost its four showrunners and brought in brand new. Mark Sotkin, who came from Laverne and Shirley, so a very different sensibility. And then they brought in new writers, including some baby writers at the time, like Mark Cherry. So Mitchell Hurwitz, really, like people that love the absurdist right. arrest development stuff, is right. like, he got to start on Golden Girls. <laughs> he did. And he had been with, with them, with the company the whole time because he had been like an assistant oh, and stuff. Wow. But yes, you're right. He got his writing break toward the end of Golden Girls. So there really is a dividing line between seasons four and five. And sometimes I'll find somebody who says, oh, I love the early episodes because they're a little more grounded in character and then it, things get too surreal and too over the top in the end. And they do get more surreal and over the top in the end, definitely. But I still think it works brilliant. Oh, and it's like, the show is like pizza, okay? Yeah. Even a, a mediocre episode is better than almost anything else. Great. When did yeah. y'all first see, when did y'all first watch The Golden Girls? Like, what was your, like, fall in love moment with the show? September 14th, 1985. Yes. <laughs> or 16th or whatever it was. I'm forgetting the date. No, and me too. I I, I saw the ads for it. And not only was I, so in those days, I was such a uh, still such a TV geek. I sort of fell out for a while and wasn't paying attention to TV. And then I met Jim and then it suddenly became our lives again. <laughs> but um, I remember loving Susan Harris, the creator, so much and B. Arthur so much yeah. that I started... VHS taping them the first week it came on because I was like, I have to save all of these. So I had Golden Girls tapes until they came out on DVD. I, I should probably have saved them because they had the commercials. In them. Yes. But I tossed them once I once I had the DVDs. But um, yeah, that first week and I was in love with it because Sophia is my grandmother. I mean, <laughs> my grandmother had no censoring mechanism whatsoever and was that tall or that short, <laughs> so I should say. Um, and so it really was, I was very much used to, I knew that woman. So Sophia was my entrance. And as it's turned out over the decades, I've become Sophia Pirillo <laughs> in uh, our lives. Jim is the Dorothy and I'm okay. Sophia. Yeah, I feel like I'm a weird Blanche. Well, no, I'm like a, I'm like a Rose, but also a Blanche, I think. And so Every gay a, man wants to be Blanche, so says, oh, I'm part Blanche. That just happens. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, we're all part Blanche. Um, and then my husband is very Sophia-Dorothy hybrid, so we do have all four of them in our, <laughs> in our apartment in quarantine. <laughs> you know, I had been following news of the Golden Girls when the pilot was being made and whatever, because, you know, I was one of those geeky kids, and I've talked to other people like this, and Brett, I'm sure you were like this, where you would collect TV guides and question oh, yeah. and answer columns. You know, this is before the internet. So anywhere you could get information about what was coming up, what was oh, in yeah. development, 
And so early on reading that there was a new pilot for a show about four women and it was going to it was going to be a super group of comedy. It was going to be, you know, as Sue Ann Nivens from Mary Tyler Moore meets Maud meets Vivian. You know, the moment you read that, if you're a comedy nerd uh, and if you like old ladies too much, apparently you, <laughs> I, you know, I followed that all through the summer. And whenever I could get any kind of news about that, I remember being in a summer program as a kid thinking like, I can't wait until fall. That new show is coming yeah. on. So I was waiting for it for and, months. And your mother didn't know you were gay. Yeah, no, that's, shockingly, no. Yeah, that's I mean, I, I grew up watching Golden Girls on Saturday Night with my mom because it was her favorite show. And I would I was obsessed with it. And again, you know, the. Did not clue that I was uh, homosexual until uh, way later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you mispronounced that after today's episode. It's homosexual, homosexual. homosexual. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, that's a little Suzanne Sugarbaker yeah. too. Yeah. But it was sort of sim- similar, uh, sort of. This week on Must Have Seen TV, we're talking about the Golden Girls episode "Sisters of the Bride." is the fourteenth episode of season six and was written by Mark Cherry and Jamie Wooten and directed by Matthew Diamond. Here's how Hulu describes the episode: Blanche's gay. Br- Blanche's gay brother Clayton makes a visit to Miami with a surprise. Jim and Frank, how accurate is that description? That is, a, she she does get That's a surprise. <laughs> accurate. Sophia says surprise, and it's uh, she's not kidding. Um, it's very it's very funny, especially because she's in denial, thinking that maybe Clayton is going to be bringing the woman he intends to marry. Yes. In the beginning. So there are there are a lot of gay Golden Girls episodes, but there are like three big ones, and it is the Isn't It Romantic from season two, uh, where Dorothy's old college friend comes back, falls in love with Rose. Right. That's the one that everyone remembers and talks about. And then there is Scared Straight, which is season four. Right, I think uh, it's season four. It yeah. is before Mark Cherry came on. I'd have to look up what season, but yeah. it's be- Mark came on in season five, and it was before that. Yeah, so I think it was season four, and that's when like uh, Clayton comes, Monty Markham plays Clayton, and comes out to Blanche, and then season six we get the like the rare, you know, pre Ellen recurring gay character because usually it's a drive by. They come on one week and they're gone. <laughs> the well, you know, week. I've always wanted to write. Either I, I actually proposed it as a book, but I just don't think that a publisher would think the audience is there. That I always wanted to call it the gay episode and go through every yes. sitcom from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and talk about the one time that they had a gay character and they tackled the homosexuality once and thought they were being so liberal for doing so. And it would often be the same pattern that the lead character would hear from a long lost friend who's mm-hmm. coming to town to talk. And think, oh boy, I can't wait until my old friend comes to town. He was always so such a hit with the ladies. I can't wait until we can go out on the town. And then the friend comes to town. Shockingly, he's gay. The the lead character of the show has to go through a dark night of the soul, yep. finding a way to come to terms with that. <laughs> and then at the end of the show, he vows, he or she vows. I will always be there for you. We will always be best friends. And then you never hear never from see that them again. person again. So that it happened on Cheers. It happened on Dear John. It happened. I mean, so many times. Happened on Rhoda. I mean. For Phyllis, but it, you know, yeah. having the problems because it was right. her brother. But the, and that that was a really liberal-minded show that tried to tackle it. But the point being that even shows that really meant well would usually only get one bite at the apple, whether it was the network saying they could only do it yeah. once, or whether they thought we could only handle this once. And the Golden Girls was the first show I could ever remember that just did it over and over again. And one of the reasons being that the, in fact, it, it, I, in the write-up for this episode of the book, I quote. One of the producers saying, if you couldn't do that on the Golden Girls, you couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Because the column, these are older women who yeah. have been through life, who have life experience and wisdom, who can get away with saying things and tackling subjects that other people can't because of their age. And we think it's cute as opposed to it would be threatening <laughs> yeah. for somebody younger. And so the show really knew 
that they could take advantage of gay storylines and gay characters who pop up in other episodes too and and really have that story area all to themselves and it yeah. feels so organic rather than it doesn't feel exploitative it doesn't feel like hot button issue of the week it doesn't it just feels like well of course this would happen to these women and of course they would handle it the way they do i almost think uh blanche's conservatism is almost the surprise of the episode in yeah. that you think she would be cooler about it quicker. Uh, yeah. but i guess it's because it's her brother and it, it's kind of smart because a lot of us you know my dad once once he got to the point where he was okay with me being gay the next thing was why do you have to tell people you yes. know it's yeah. like okay i know but why does everyone have to know and that's kind of Blanche's big uh issue in this episode. Well, it's a step in the evolution of, of, yeah, of love. Of acceptance. And then, of yeah. acceptance. And then eventually they come to the point where like your father, where he was so loving with, you know, with me and you being, taking care of him at the end of his life. So. Oh yeah, my father was crazy about Tim. Oh, he, was the son my, he was the son my father never had. <laughs> yeah, so like the, the column that I have for Decider is called That Gay Episode. And I do, I've done, I did this episode a couple years ago because this one's one that speaks the most to me. Maybe because I am from the South. Maybe because I have an older sister. Maybe because I had to go through a lot of these like repeated like this isn't a phase like you're gonna have to now deal with this like uh um, and so i like clayton hollingsworth is one of my favorite gay characters of all time um and i always want to shout out the bob newhart show because you don't ever you don't ever think of the bob newhart show as being a gay show at all but they outed howard hessman's character in his like second or third appearance and then he came back and had another episode they didn't mention he was gay but they they brought him back and i remember right, like right. when that happened it was like oh my god um but like it is it was so rare so the fact that monty markham got to do two episodes and, and this is this is very Mark indicative Rick. of like what a second gay episode would be it would be the because you don't really since they only ever did one per show you never got to see the fact that like um acceptance is a process and it is not easy and it is not quick and the fact that blanche you're surprised and she's like well maybe he bought maybe he found a lady um and oh god there was a really good joke about like oh well there must be some homosexuals that date women yeah they're called lesbians (laughs) which is a great callback when you realize that blanche didn't know the word lesbians (laughs) and it was isn't it romantic you know what's so interesting too is when we talked about how there were two eras of the golden girls and in the earlier era, you know, they, they had introduced the character of Clayton. But one of the great things about having a diverse writer's room, first of all, and having gay, gay writers in, mm-hmm. in the writer's room, but also in this case that the show hired Mark Cherry and Jamie Wooten, who were fans of the show before they got hired, because one of the things they felt they brought to the table, the writer's room, was their fandom, never mind their gay sensibility. And they re- they realized that there were all these threads loose threads of story that had been left or planted as, mm. as to be germinating later and that they all they had to do was pick up on some of them and they could create other episodes and as fans they knew so they were like when they came in and they were on staff first of all they the, they they joke that when they first were pitching stories everything they pitched was and he turns out to be gay and the producers had to be like okay cool it can't all be gay but still <laughs> can it please <laughs> yeah it should. But, but still they were wise enough to remember hey blanche has a gay brother that that storyline has more that can happen let's pull on that thread a little bit yeah and so the the the, the a plot is clayton coming back the b plot we find out before uh, uh clayton shows up is that Rose is receiving the Volunteer Vanguard Award. She's been nominated seven times. Agnes always wins, but this year she's dead. And is like Betty White being a master of 
uh, Rose is proclaiming her joy over a character being dead, and you still love Rose. Like, she's not yes. an asshole. Well, as Frank said, what did you say? No, I said nobody plays sweet but evil better than Betty White. (laughs) Yeah, and her, I mean, the the spoiler alert of the end of her plotline is she ends up just taking the award home that still goes to Agnes. And then the last shot of it, there's no, like, she doesn't learn a lesson. She's just like, now I have to focus on getting her name off of this one. (laughs) Like, like, she doesn't learn anything, but it's still sweet. I wonder if she ever gave it to the uh, estate. But the line about she doesn't need this on her mantle, she's, she's on, on her mantle, her mantle. <laughs> is is genius because it, I mean that's when you read it, you're like, or you when you when you uh, listen to the dialogue, you're like, my God, is this well written? You know, it's it's just that's such a great joke. Yeah. Um, and yet it, it's in keeping with it's more clever than the character might be, but it's also kind of you know it's it's you buy it coming from her well, and even Betty's though delivery, it's a brilliant joke Betty's, yeah. Betty's delivery is so brilliant because she really says it angrily when she says she doesn't need our mail she's on her mantle <laughs> so Clayton finally shows up he shows up he comes in it's like everyone's hugging there's a surprise and then uh, a man comes in carrying uh, the luggage and of course, everyone except for Blanche and Rose like clock who this person is. But Blanche is like, "Why did you take a cab? You didn't have to do that." <laughs> and then this has just such another great joke where Clayton's like, "Oh, me and Doug, like he's my special friend," and Rose is like, "Oh, isn't it lovely how they got so close on the ride over here?" <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, did we think? Is, what did we I think of Doug? What do we think of Doug as, you know, do we ship him with Clayton? Are they our OTP, as the kids would say? Our one true pairing? Sure. You know, the thing is, it's not the Doug show. No. So <laughs> certainly when a, when a character, an, an inciting incident type of character comes in to, to catalyze a storyline, it's Clayton would be that character. And even he doesn't have that much to do. So you mm. can't expect that Doug is going to be given much to do. He really has only a few lines and is really just physically to be there to remind us that it's, it's a man that Clayton's with. Although he does have dignity. He does. Yes, yeah. and, and you don't see him. You don't see a shred of shame on his face when they're kind of when, when the characters are making, trying to make them feel uncomfortable yeah. or, or even if not trying or, you know, succeeding without meaning to uh, make them feel uncomfortable and he's just like they're not happy they're like look i love this guy yeah and if you can't handle it that's too bad which is kind of brilliant so uh to play it that way it it is a brilliantly played episode one of hundreds of brilliantly played episodes (laughs) well this is what so like when i do installments of that gay episode i always do my damnedest to find out first of all was the actor playing the gay character gay themselves and two was the writer of the episode gay because you can find a correlation like the the mary taylor moore show episode one with robert moore that was co-written by dick claire there is so much just like understood dignity and like truth in like that storyline with him and Phyllis. That is like, of course makes total sense. Whereas like, um, the Barney, like some of the Barney Miller ones I've done, like not as much, I think sometimes, uh, and then this one, of course, has it because the two writers like are writing from experience. And like, of course they were going to give them all the dignity in the world. Right. Like, they were. I remember, like in your book, like they were like we were just excited. There was like a a good gay character on television, who <laughs> was yeah. just like so much yeah. dignity. I, I was gonna say, I think that there is a lot to be said for, as you mentioned, him, the diversity in a writer's room, because you can point out how to make a joke where you're laughing with the gay character mm-hmm. instead of at the gay character, 
And it can be just as funny. And, yeah. you know, when I was saying before about heart to heart, that could have gone a horribly homophobic yeah. way. And instead it didn't. You know, it wasn't the, oh, my God, I was drunk. What was I thinking? It was the men are horrible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's you know, a really good example. Kind of, There's yeah, a really good example a of this. Starter, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's you don't have to sacrifice funny <laughs> By being inoffensive, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like you can, you can, if you're smart enough, you can be both. One of know? them says like, Doug is really good at undercover work. And like, yes. and look at Sophia says, what did she say? Like, of course, like, or something, bet, or something like, I'll bet he is. Yeah. yeah. And then that's when, oh uh, no, he said, no, uh, it's, it's the line is. Uh, you do do undercover work and Sophia says and I'll bet he's damn good at it. Oh right, yeah, see, like that's yeah, so yeah. good. And then uh B. Arthur, Dorothy has this amazing moment and her and Sophia as a duo in this episode, they're kind of like doing their own Abbott and Costello the entire time. Oh yeah. Yes. There's this great moment where she like puts her arm around Sophia and it's just like, pardon me, my mother was had a like misfortune of a stroke a few years prior and it's rendered her a horrible burden. <laughs> like, yeah, it was my my mother had a slight stroke <laughs> a few years ago and it's left her a complete burden. It's just well, and- and the oh. joke that she covered her mouth over oh, was he said he said uh, he'll uh, he'll oh yeah puzzle bend over backwards for me and, and she's just, like hey. and she covers <laughs> her mouth I just sometimes I just love to hug my mommy <laughs> God and that's just it's so good and that is again like doing the wordplay that is coming from just like a place of like dignity and like we're all in on the joke like Clayton and Doug a hundred percent know the jokes that are being made like they are uh they're they're not having like uh no one's getting one over on them which is really refreshing uh this is when blanche gets very upset that like first of all there's a man here uh then clint comes in and is like what are the sleeping arrangements and she freaks out because what are the neighbors gonna think if they see two men in her bedroom (laughs) at night and she's and sophia says they'll think it's a tuesday (laughs) (laughs) it is wild that when when people you know my age or younger rag on multicam sitcoms or older sitcoms of being like too slow or not as funny i always say you need to watch golden girls start with the very beginning because the show is as fast and as joke dense as anything that you're used to watching nowadays yes and that and, is and it's the funny thing is today there's a weird sobering not only against multicam sitcoms but against jokes themselves yeah so much of comedy today has to be joke free and i don't understand the appeal of that i know i mean i understand that there are bad sitcoms that have given a bad name to the idea that there'd be set up punchline and that there's a rhythm. I get that some bad sitcoms have ruined it for some people. However, I don't understand why that makes the entire format invalid when so many, if you look back of the shows that have shaped our culture, are multi-camp sitcoms. every show from 1950 to 2000 that people love is a multi-camp. Like people worship at the altar of Seinfeld and it's like Seinfeld was a multi-camera show. (laughs) Seinfeld, Friends, Mary Tyler Moore, The Golden Girls. Cheers, like damn it. Cheers, you can go on with lists. I don't understand. I mean, by that token, there have been many bad movies made more than more than good. Why wouldn't wouldn't that be just movies in general evil as yeah, well? I don't yeah. understand why people are against multicam the way they well, are. And so many. I mean, a lot of the stuff we think of as classic '60s comedy were single cameras. You know, yeah. I mean, The Munsters, Gilligan's yeah. Island, Bewitched. Uh, you know, so many Mayberry RFD. So many of the show or, or uh, Andy Griffith show rather. Um, you know, were were single camera shows yeah. and. We segued into multicam. You can segue back and forth. I think sometimes it's hard for networks to build a comedy block of multicam 
and single cam on the same night. Right, yeah. The, the rhythms are so different that they can be jarring. But, uh, you know, that's like, hey, as you're saying, it's like hating movies or hating ice cream because you don't like one flavor. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, it's like bad vanilla ice cream is terrible. Good vanilla ice cream is wonderful. <laughs> the other thing that I have to say about that, though, is that multicams are, and, and sitcoms, uh, comedy in general, and I think multicams even more so, are hard to do right. Mm-hmm. Everything has to line up exactly right because there is such a specificity to casting and rhythm and writing and getting that audience who's there to laugh in that moment. And so I think maybe multicams are a little harder to pull off even than single cam comedies. Oh, yeah. And, may- and that's why when a network tries to build a giant multicam block, the, the law of averages says that maybe only one or two of them is going to be really good and maybe there's going to be a clunker among the bunch. So it does become hard to keep that art form on the air. Yeah, Keep good going. and but, you it know, usually when you look at Mom on CBS and some yeah. of the shows that are brilliant. And like I yeah, came well, up doing comedy, like improv at the UCB in New York. And so I would go there and see all these amazing people, you know, like your Ben Schwartz, Adam Pally, uh, God, why are they Ellie Kemper, Aubrey Plaza? Like these are all people that thrive on stage in front of a live audience. But when it comes time to see them on television, it's always single cam. And I'm like, God, like, no, like for some reason, the actors that should be doing single cam just keep getting or should be doing multicam just gravitate towards doing yeah, single there's, there's always... a bias right now in development and it, the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth but there's definitely a bias against multicam yeah. at its old fashion that younger talent should try to be hipper and go for single cam it, it, what'll happen is what what happened in 1984 with the cosby show yeah there'll be another giant multicam hit and all of a sudden oh my god let's let's well, all it's do- like all the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon shows are multicam shows, so it's like there is a generation of kids that have all been trained on those rhythms, and so like right. when they start making their own shows, they'll be like that, and then maybe I can get a job at writing for yeah, something. I was going to say, they still won't hire me at that <laughs> point. Like, yes. uh, oh, Grandpa. Uh, uh, <laughs> so there's, there's a really good moment here where like Dorothy tries to like, you know, try to like check Blanche of like, hey, you should be happy that your brother is like found someone is in a like healthy monogamous like relationship is safe, which is this undercurrent of like, yeah, it's 1991. Like this is like, uh, Golden Girls did their AIDS episode and they (laughs) gave it to Rose. But only in 1990. Yeah. And that was, and and designing women had done it at the end of 1989. And they were the first sitcoms to talk about something that started happening in 1981. God. Yeah. And it's, wild and so it's so good that like they just you know subconsciously like let it slip in there of just like this is happening we're not going to ju- devote the episode to it but we're going to make sure that we mention it and also blanche what is your problem what how do y'all feel about homophobic blanche i mean it rings very true to me coming from tennessee so <laughs> well the southern part of it does ring true to me the, the thing that i i mean there are so many inconsistencies in the Golden Girls, and they didn't care how many oh, yeah. kids Blanche many had kids? and what their names yeah. were. And so, you know, they, they would make things up that would be convenient for the moment, and it would not necessarily be consistent. I don't believe that Blanche, even in Isn't It Romantic, didn't know what the word lesbian meant. If the woman had been around the block as many times as Blanche, she'd encountered lesbians before. And in fact, there are earlier episodes and later episodes where she makes lesbian jokes. So... Blanche's whole views on homosexuality are very inconsistent. (laughs) I understand that she is from a Southern family that's conservative and is about image. And so I I definitely can see why she has at least some freak out over it. The thing is that I also thought was interesting is that Rue talked about how she Mm -hmm. had a hard time with this episode or with episodes that made her have to seem homophobic. Because again, as an actress 
who had been around for a long time. She certainly had tons of gay friends. She'd done a lot of theater. And so they were all advocates, too, at the time. Like they were all and like they also knew the show was resonating with gay queer audiences in the 80s. Like it was all we had. (laughs) So for Rue to play the bad guy at that moment and be somewhat homophobic was hard for her. You know, at least she feels at at the end of both Clayton episodes, she got some redemption. And I'm sure that made it easier for her. But it was, you know, what she told me among the bigger challenges for her. But she always, she seems kind of conflicted mm-hmm. more than just plain homophobic. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's really more what will people think, mm-hmm. not, oh, you're an abomination. Right. Yeah. So that's, and that's kind very of, in character. That's, that's kind of in character. But yeah, but she kind of, you kind of expect them all to be cool about it, especially watching it in 2020, you know, <laughs> but um, because she's so sex positive and so beloved that you kind of think, oh, well, she's got to. Yeah, she's the voice of reason. On. She's the voice of reason in the AIDS episode. Like, she's the right. one that's just like, uh, this is not some sort of like God's judgment, Rose. Like, don't slut shame me. And so it's right. interesting to see right. that. But it also really deepens in why Golden Girls... You know, when you watch it as a whole and you try and like make sense of all that, it really enriches all the characters because you're seeing all these different sides of them. But yeah, when... we are all humans with conflicting moments. And sometimes we yeah. are smarter about some topics than we would be if you caught us at a different moment. So I'm willing to suspend disbelief a little bit about Blanche's uh, reaction and, and see that there are some things that make it credible. But just knowing what you know about Rue and just knowing what you know, Blanche has been around the block, that, that <laughs> part is a little tricky. Well, and. And it's also, I mean, real people are very conflicted in yeah. some ways where it's, you know, I mean, you could be watching the dirtiest fetish porno and go, why does he have to have a tattoo? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, wait, so what he's doing is fine with you. But you just but don't he, like. You know, he's got a tattoo and it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, so it's, it, just because you're open-minded about one thing doesn't necessarily mean yeah. you're open-minded about everything. There might be some uh, little glitch in, in your world view and this um, is where it, it works out nicely in the end obviously. yeah this is where clayton tells everyone like oh bt dubs i'm here because doug and i are gonna have a we're gonna get married we're gonna exchange rings uh and that is when like blanche like freaks out she calls it like a stunt uh does this uh bring up personal memories for me i don't know maybe uh maybe that's why i like this episode a lot um but like that that reaction feels very uh true and again kind of like the only reaction that you can have if you've already had the episode where you're dealing with him coming out like this it's so good that we already have that basis of another episode yes that this can then build on that's one of the moments that rang truest for me in the episode because as we've said acceptance is complicated and so it's okay to think in 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 conceptually that clayton's gay and then when you're face to face with a man that he's sleeping with it's a different level of acceptance but the other thing is that you know in 1996, when Frank and I first met, I don't think I ever thought men would marry and or to same sex would marry, that women would marry each other. Yeah. It wasn't even on my radar. And it, I don't think it was on anybody's radar for a while after that. And it was only 2015 when it became a national law. So this was 1991, we're yeah. talking about, written in 1990. And so I think if you had asked me in 1991, about two men getting married, I, I would have said probably like, what's the point in having a ceremony? It's not legal. It's yeah. just like, it's just, it, it didn't, I wouldn't have gotten why it's important to demonstrate your love because it wasn't a legal thing. So I wouldn't have gotten it back then. Why would Blanche? And yeah. I was home on, you know, and a lot, all the days that we're home on a Saturday night watching the Golden Girls, we were trying to figure out how to get a date, let alone <laughs> the idea that we'd ever get married. You know, we were just like, you know, here's <laughs> 
honestly, if you were home on a Saturday night watching a sitcom about old ladies, you were not exactly, <laughs> you know, out at the bars. Uh, well, I know, like, know, well, I guess I didn't have like how Drag Race is the bar viewing on Friday nights now. I didn't know if like was Golden Girls the bar viewing on Saturday nights at yes. gay bars. <laughs> yes, and the girls enjoyed the knowing that Betty would tell people or somebody would tell Betty. Because occasionally the girls would go to a bar, but I mean, it was often that the gay guys who were friends with them would tell them at eight o'clock on Saturday, like music stops, the, the volume goes up on the TV, everybody watches uh, for after and at 830, everything goes back. Oh my God, my people, I need to, they didn't stay, uh, they didn't stick around to watch Empty Nest afterwards? That didn't happen. <laughs> I don't think they did. <laughs> what, would you? Yeah. Um, I was going to say, although that's got a gay icon on it too, but uh, um, I was going to say with I remember Betty was quoted as saying, I don't know why the gays like us as much as they do, but I'm re- sure glad they do, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And that was that was many years ago. I, I, might, I might have done that interview. I don't remember. But uh, <laughs> to we all talked to the Golden Girls, one, you know, uh, at one point or another. But uh, so. <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of amazing uh, that I was thinking about about how it's one of very, very few shows that is truly beloved, not polarizing, and that you can use a sort of a litmus test. If you know, if you meet a gay guy and he says, I hate the Golden Girls, do not go out with him. It's like, (laughs) you certainly don't marry him. It's like, oh my God. It is this thing, because like being like, well, I'm 35, but all the, the thing, I mean, just to get on the tangent I go on often, there is like what I like to call the Nick at Night generation, where if you were born in the early to mid 80s, you have so much more in common with people that were born 30 years before you do than 10 years after you. And Drag Race is where this is always the case, because it is yeah. queens like Nina West doing Joanne Worley or Ben De La Creme doing Paul Lind that I'm like, got you. We're, this, we're close to the same age, like we understand this. But then it's all the people who are 20 doing makeup influencers <laughs> or like right. even Kardashians. I'm like, I don't understand that. Uh, and that's why I love, you know, someone like Alaska, who is a, you know, a modern, super popular queen in drag race. That is such a Golden Girls ambassador to yes. the children. And I just uh, that just like means the world to me because there is something to there's a weird pride that young gays seem to have in being ignorant of history of just like, I was too I was I wasn't born for that. And I'm like, <sighs> I wasn't born for that is the reason for the last three of my books. To get yeah. and written because I was so tired of hearing. I I didn't know about that. I wasn't. There. But I was like, I'm gonna say everything I like. The people were dead before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, and, and that's the thing. There are things that are cultural touchstones that you may not physically have chronologically been born yet. But so what? I mean, I just talked about how I love Get Smart. I was only around for the last season. Yeah. And literally on this earth. Yeah. Or, or the Dick Van Dyke Show or I Love Lucy. Does that mean that I shouldn't enjoy I Love Lucy because I wasn't around? It doesn't make sense. Oh, and that's, there was such a cool, like, growing up and having Nick at night, I always say it was like having a college course in TV history. Like, you could see the sediment of TV history through a Nick at night TV land programming lineup. Like, I understood Lucy was first, then Dick Van Dyke, then Mary Tyler Moore. Like, there was such a lineage, whereas now, I hear horror stories, my friends who have interns are like, Eddie Murphy, we've seen that, like, 1960s movie, Beverly Hills Cop, and it's like, what? the hell i'm glad that our interns at work know their shit more than that but like that stuff blows my mind but i don't understand why people like that go to where i was just interviewing somebody who who works uh, on classic tv and i won't say who it is but he was telling me about how so many of the people that he works with in his own company are like i don't know what that is and it'll be something like tv from the 90s and i'm like why are they working at a classic tv station however 
I do. On the flip side of that, I have to say that you mentioned Alaska. I have to say, even though his name has been disgraced on this current uh, round of RuPaul, Sherry Pie is only like 27 or 28 and really knows older references. So there are some people who have done their homework, who yeah. just appreciate pop culture from whatever era. And, you know, to, the, to their credit. Yeah. Well, and it's also you, the part I don't understand in enjoying your ignorance is not when they do you want to say you do realize you're the more things you know about the better your life is you know they, they, it's like do you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on white bread every day don't you <laughs> want to know what prosciutto is don't you want to know what a impossible burger is yeah. you know it's like it's good to maybe alternate every other you know where, where you have all three in one week yeah you know it's kind of good to have vegan Tuesdays or whatever you know? it is such it's, a cool thing to have because like I will take my husband on these Amazon Prime journeys because Amazon Prime is like this insane wild west of like, there's just stuff on there that I don't know if it is legal for it. Like the Pollen Halloween special is on Amazon Prime video. It looks like it was transferred from a VHS tape. I do not understand how it's on there. I don't like talking about it because I'm afraid someone's going to find out and take it down. Um, But there's also like the, um, the Dean Martin roasts and me and my husband discovered those. And I just, and then I discovered Georgia Engel, on the Dean Martin roast is one of the funniest roasters and just like the genius of Georgia Ingle. And it's because having a curious mind and like deciding like, I'm going to spend the night doing this. And then you discover it. And then like, you now have a new touchstone, a new, like um, a thing that you can draw on or guide people to. And it's fun. I'm just saying if young gays like uh, being snooty, there's nothing snootier than knowing a lot that no one else knows. <laughs> That's right. And that used to be the, more, the intimidating thing about when I was first coming out, you, I meet Frank's friends who are older than Frank or whatever. A lot of them, it would be, I feel like I was being judged because it was who could be more obscure and esoteric. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I long for those days, I guess, where it was, it was all about knowing things before there was Google to look them up. Yeah. <laughs> you can't make a peanut bausch whoopert tall dance theater joke anymore. And anyone knows what you're talking about. But, uh, I know. I, I uh, yeah, I know. I, I just, it's, it's really, I always like it with the food because I like it everything to food. But it's sort of the more the more things you like uh, and the more or at least experience, the better. And, and how do you watch something and not if you see some guy on Downton Abbey, you think, oh, he's adorable. What the hell else has he done? So yeah. you pause, you start looking stuff up and you say, oh, well, look, he's this guy. Oh, we did that after we did that before. You know, yeah. I, mean, I don't understand how if you're impressed with someone, you don't find out who did it before they did. Yeah. You know, if you like Lady Gaga, then you need to know about Elton John. And if you know about Elton John, you need to know about Liberace. Yeah. And, and if you, you know, and then you need to know about Little Richard. And yeah. it's like, so there, now you know four things. See, yeah. And, <laughs> four you things know. you didn't know before. <laughs> yeah. So. And, it's, and it's all entertaining. And, some of it's very good. And if you really are thirsty or hungry for knowledge, you know, I mean, I, I've written this drag book. I followed people's careers for 30 years. Someone like Charles Pierce, late great drag performer, female impersonator. He was on the Dean Martin roast of Joan Collins. I didn't know that. You know, I, I mean, maybe I saw it at the time, but it didn't, you know, as a little kid, that didn't mean what it does now. Now I'm like, oh my God, I, I mean, you know, we, I bought a whole Starsky and Hutch box set just to get the Charles Pierce episode. Oh, yeah, this sounds because like... I wanted to hear him tell Starsky and Hutch, you couldn't handle the 10.30 show. <laughs> you know, they're uh, talking about the 8 o'clock show versus the 10.30 drag show. Well, you this couldn't is, handle the 10.30 Speaking show. of buying things uh, <laughs> for a stupid reason, I saw... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is getting deep into my... So I'm a Speedo advocate. I'm very pro-Speedo. Um, and I saw that Johnny Carson loved wearing Speedos. And in my Google searches, I found a tweet that Frank had tweeted Yolongo of like... Here is a photo of Johnny Carson in a speedo uh, out of context or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, and then I, of course, being my like insane researcher brain, I was like, where is this photo from? And so I like did crazy Googling, found that it's from a biography that came out of his like 10 years ago. So I bought it in iBooks just for that one photo. So I could finally be like, Johnny Carson was a very like masculine, heterosexual, like straight man's man who also enjoyed wearing speedos. Everyone can enjoy wearing whatever they want to wear. Um, I have the very controversial opinion. I think everyone looks good in a speedo. Everyone does. Thin, fat, yes. in shape, out of shape. I think it is. it makes everyone look sexy. And yes. people think I'm out of my tree for thinking that. But I do I do find it very appealing. Body positivity. On anyone. I have a no, ton. I, I hate body positivity. I'm one of those self-loathing <laughs> chubby guys. Well, no, yeah. yeah. That's but, the thing uh, of but like, I do um, think everybody looks good in a speedo. Yeah, so. be comfortable. Be comfortable in in your own body, and uh, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, I guess it's, there's a, a okay too. It's I a do. complicated, <laughs> uh, complicated world. But Act Two of this episode, I feel like this should be a mini series because I just have so many great tangents. Um, Act Two of the episode is all in the is mostly in the the banquet hall. Uh, I wrote down the Ro- Rose is wearing an insane holographic Prisma foil, like jacket yes. situation. That it was, looks good. Yeah. It looks good, but I'm surprised that it was able to photograph. Yeah. It, it looks it, like it something like on Star gonna, Trek. Yeah. Um, and this, so like the whole thing of the second act is, uh, uh, is Blanche finally shows up. She was not going to show up because Clayton and Doug were going to go there. And then she's like embarrassed. This is like her fear coming true. Like they're in public. One of her friends comes comes over to introduce uh, herself to them. And right before Clayton can say, "And this is my Blanche yells fire." Yeah, <laughs> it's such a funny moment. Uh, and it's it's a I I don't really like the B plot of this episode as much. Just like the the Rose getting a like vanguard volunteer thing like it's very funny there are good jokes in it but like the meat of the episode is so good that i kind of find myself glazing over during the rest of it and also the scene plot of of sophia has pawned off dorothy to make discounts on (laughs) like all all, like the catering and stuff yeah (laughs) i mean i almost didn't view them as a and b plot i viewed it as kind of an a plot and two runners and then and you know everything so at least you know sometimes in sitcoms you have an a plot and a b plot that really don't converge at all what I admired about the writing of this is that they are also interwoven. Mm-hmm. Everything is leading up to that banquet. Yeah, that is smart. Yeah. A, runner. a runner isn't necessarily a story, but it's kind of like a, a, a reference that's repeated yeah. to it. Sort of like a running gag. Like yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Well, kind of like Sophia selling Dorothy out for dates is a, is a runner because like it isn't really like there's no... There's no arc to that plot, really. Right. It's just there's a no joke story plot. to it. Yeah. It's just the repeated jokes about, about selling off and even with Rose, there's not much of a story. Yeah, I guess the story is that Rose want, thinks she's going to get the award. The phone call convinces her further, and then she has a come up. And so there's a slight story. I guess it is yeah. a B plot, but they're also well interwoven. That you know, they <clears throat> good comedy really builds. At least uh, in the old yeah. days, they would call it a block comedy scene at the end where everything comes to a head, and that's what this did. Well, yeah. I love the little the, the way they even tie up the deals that that Sophia has made. Yeah. <laughs> prostituting out her daughter. She's, they say that, that Dorothy is leading a busboy conga line. Yeah, which is a good know. little throwaway so, joke. 
Yeah, so it's sort of like, oh, good. So Dorothy kind of was okay. It ended up being that, that part of it ended up being okay too. It's kind of a relief. So. so then we get the final scene. Like we're back at the home. We get this really great scene with Blanche and Sophia. Sophia, who is always the one that is so far ahead on gay issues and is always like coaching everyone else to like just fucking chill. <laughs> and she just point blank asks Blanche, "Why did you marry George?" And that person, like, that clicks into Blanche's head of, like, oh, oh, adore, kind of, like. And then there's this really great moment at the very end of that where Sophia's like, well, I'm trying to ask you, will you marry me, Blanche? And I really like that. And then she doesn't leave it alone because she comes back and says, look, I'm not going to wait all day. I'll need an answer. Yeah, I'll need an answer. And it's like that undercutting. Uh, And there are two things in that, you know, that, the, those moments were written very specifically and written first by Mark Cherry and Damie Wooten about, you know, why did you marry George? Everybody wants someone to grow old with. When That was kind of at the crux of their idea. And when they first were pitching the story, that was where they knew they were going to. Just uh-huh. those few lines. And they knew they weren't going to draw it out more than a couple of sentences. Yeah. They knew that they were powerful enough. <clears throat> and I, what I love about the Sophia saying, Blanche, will you marry me? Is not only is it a good treacle cutter, but it really shows the dynamic between Sophia and Blanche, which is that Sophia deliberately said outrageous, horrible things to Blanche. And Rue very early in the show decided that the way she was going to play Blanche with Sophia is she would just find everything Sophia says funny. And rather than be offended by every time Sophia says she has a fat ass or anything like that, or that she's a slut. If, if Blanche finds Sophia funny, the audience has license to find it funny. And it also kind of enriches both characters that Blanche has a sense of humor about herself that she knows that this little lady is kind of off a rocker, but funny. It's a really smart way to play. I was going to say, I remember reading that in your book, Golden Girls Forever by Kim Pelucci. Thank you. But uh, no, I was going to say, that was one of the lines I remember most because it's such a simple actor's choice and a brilliant one at that. Because it's just, it, it, it accomplishes so much more than if she were offended every time Sophia opened her mouth. The yeah. idea that oh, this kooky old lady can say the worst things and it's adorable, as you said, makes it okay for the audience to feel the same way. There's, there's no guilt in Sophia being so shady. It's yeah. just funny. It's 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 kind of, she knows that it's it's the, what do they call that, salt and sugar, you know? Yeah. But it's the, an evil thing to say, but really it's because you love them so much that you're going to feed them to filth, you know? So, uh <sighs> I think that that that's kind of a, a brilliant thing, and I, I that was one of the glimpses. Also, in the I was looking at the chapter on this episode in the book, and and the the writers talk about how those two lines about you know you and George, they were like that's all we needed to say. We knew that was the political line, yeah. But it, you'd never think of it as a political line because it's so genuine, and it yeah. doesn't need to be drawn out. So simple. And it's it just gets, like, yep, gets it. the point across. It's like, it is literally as simple as that. <laughs> like, it is just oh, as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the idea earlier on about them mentioning AIDS without mentioning AIDS. I yeah. mean, they said, aren't you glad he's in a monogamous relationship yeah. at a time like this? That's all you needed to say. And yeah. it's like, yep. Very smart. And then we get the final scene of the episode, which has my favorite moment of the episode, I think, is when it's like Blanche comes in. She asks Doug, like, I want to talk to you do you love him? And Doug's like, yes. And then Clayton says like, yes, he loves me for me, like in like unconditionally or whatever. And then like, it's very pointed. And then Blanche says, oh, I guess I deserve that. And then Clayton just says, I guess you do. And it is not a joke. Like there's no treacle cutter there. Like it is just this, 
And as someone that like has had those hard talks with family, I'm so happy that this is in there that like Blanche doesn't really get a pat. Like, right. It, he's, he doesn't just go, oh, it's OK. Yeah, you like, didn't understand. Like, he says, no, you you were shitty. You, you deserve know? that. There's no joke yeah. here. It's just like yeah. that's the truth. And it's so yeah. cool to see the gay character have high status over the series, the series lead, like beloved Rue McClanahan. You know? <laughs> right. And then he stands <clears throat> his ground and doesn't just, you know, <laughs> capitulate. Yeah, and Doug doesn't go soft either. I mean, yeah. that's what's really kind of nice. You've got these two gay characters. Doug doesn't go soft. So. <laughs> <laughs> I covered his mouth. <laughs> Doug doesn't just roll over. Yo, I also but, um, have to shout out Michael Ayer, who plays Doug. Great gay mustache. As a fellow yes. mustachioed gay, I'm like, here for the representation. That's right. <laughs> like that. When he walks in, it's very much like, yeah, that is a gay in 1991. Like, I'm. Well, and I think it. that actually the physicality of that is very important because had he walked in and been a different physical type, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have necessarily driven the point home to Blanche as much as my brother sleeps with a man. Yeah. When a tall, handsome man with a mustache shows up, there's no way to think that that's not a man. You yeah, know, that is a man. What if it were this this tiny little twink? Yeah, uh, it's it it just it it physically drives the joke home and the point across by his physicality. And, and also, why and why did gay men in the nineties have mustaches to hide the stretch marks? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I do. God. Oh, Sorry. No. Uh, Good for you. <laughs> so the end of the episode is like Blanche supposes she's ready for the wedding, you know, you know, and she's like, you know, I'll warn you about Clayton. He's got a lot of bad qualities, too, to which Doug says Andy snores, which for like just rubs it into Blanche's mind a little bit like, yes, they share a bed <laughs> and that's it. And it's well, and it's, it was a great ending because the last few lines were all testing Blanche's new resolve because yeah. she says she's going to be okay. And then Clayton says, so you're okay with a new brother-in-law. brother-in-law. And you see her, you see her flinch for a second. And she says, I guess I am. Ugh. And then Doug says he snores and she's like, Oh, you know, she, okay. she, she's going to be tested and tested and tested, <laughs> but at least she's passed these few. And I also, when we were talking about Doug before he kind of gets, I mean, Blanche literally has the last line when she says, we'll keep that between us. Yeah. But Doug has the, the you know, the, the last setup of the entire episode yeah. by saying and he snores. Well, and also I like that they're using the language to use the language brother-in-law. That was 20 years before. I mean, you know, before any of 25 years before I was comfortable enough or even yeah. thought, oh yeah, he is my brother-in-law. Isn't he? You know, then I, I did it. Now I really do have brothers-in-law. <laughs> if the a last, kid, you know, if no. a young gay watched this episode right now, they would totally think that gay marriage was 100% legal in 1991 because they never waffle on like, well, like, you're not really going to be my brother-in-law. Or anyone says, like, Blanche is just a commitment ceremony. You know, it doesn't really just exchanging. Like, no one downplays the commitment right. that they are making to each other, which is also very good. Right. And why it was so ahead of its time, because I would never, if I had had a cho- an assignment to write that in 1991, I would have put in all those caveats because yeah. I would have thought it's not legal. It's it's just ceremonial. Tell Blanche that it's just, it's, you know, I would have watered it down because yeah. that's how I felt. They had such foresight. Well, are y'all ready for some must-have facts about this episode? And honestly, y'all can give me way more facts about this, I'm sure. As long as it's not a trivia no. uh, I used to for call me, this, okay. I used to call this the trivia section. Then everyone always thought I was going to quiz them. And I was like, no, wait, okay, it's must-have facts. So, okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The ratings for this episode, 29.8 million people watched this episode of television. Hilarious. Hilarious. Because these days, I mean, network executives would literally sacrifice their mother on an altar to get that number. 29.8. And it was the number six show of the week. It wasn't even top five. Um, The top five shows of this week were A Different World at Five, Designing Women at Four, Murphy Brown at three, 60 Minutes at two, and Cheers at number one. Now, seeing Designing Women over Golden Girls, I know there was like a a one-sided or was it two-sided feud? It was definitely one-sided. Like, Golden Girls felt kind of shady towards Designing Women. and would get those digs in every now and then. I don't know about that Designing Women really had any animus toward the Golden Girls. And the Golden Girls would throw in digs at Designing Women. I don't really know how seriously they were intended, but... It's, it is but very yes, like there is the one where like with Sophia's in the hospital and she says yes. like I survived this 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 and two seasons of designing seasons of women designing women yes <laughs> like, geez. if you're a TV head the way we all are when one TV show talks about another it makes me laugh so hard, oh yeah you know? I mean laughing oh. used to talk about Lucy on the other channel you yeah. know it's a good night Lucy you know at the end of it and it because they were up against each other well I just watched so like watching this is super weird but like watching Batman 66 which is the show that ABC put on and that was against the monsters like it got monsters canceled like both like Hogan's Heroes and Batman came on and were against Adam's family and monsters on the opposite network and they each canceled each other or whatever. And so when I'm watching Batman 66 after Adam's family is over and both John Aston and Carolyn Jones pop up on Batman 66 in my head, I'm like, oh, they're there to like party at the monsters wake because this is the show that took down the monsters, which is the kind of weird places my mind goes. <laughs> well, you know, there are things there are stories like that, like the love boat really helped take down Carol Burnett. And then, oh, wow. and then the Golden Girls helped take down the Love Boat. So, <laughs> no, but, but as a, but I was gonna say, but as a viewer, we were watching Barnaby Jones, and I looked at Kim and I said, "Oh my God, that's Uncle Fester and Arlene Galaka from Maybury RFD, and they're in cahoots. <laughs> over they just murdered somebody. It's like this is the best, you know." <laughs> but you know, going back to those ratings, as you said, you know, Golden Girls being number six is also particularly impressive because if you remember, it was on a Saturday, Saturday night. night. Saturday night, even then, was suffering from lower household using television hut levels, they called it. Yeah. And, you know, now Saturday night is completely abandoned by networks. But even then, you know, Golden Girls had to be a self-starter at 8 o'clock and lead off primetime and draw people to the television from whatever they were doing on a Saturday, particularly in nice weather if the light, if it's still light out. Yeah. Designing Women, which was a li- ranked a little bit ahead of it, another show I adore, but it had the benefit of being part of a Monday night comedy block. Well, yeah, and that and, Monday night lineup is just legendary. Like the CBS right. Monday night lineup is like, you know, your NBC Thursday night lineup. Like it's right. legendary. Exactly. And, and Murphy Brown, another show on that list on that same yeah. lineup. So Designing Women had had a great hut level night, had a great historic comedy block to be part of. Golden Girls had 
was coming from a disadvantage of leading off a Saturday night and still managed to be the number six. And also, like, this is season six for Golden Girls, and it is still like going out like on top. I mean, like Golden Girls would not have ended if B. Arthur wanted to stick around. Like that's right. Yeah. Um, and then there's Golden Palace, but whatever. Um, so the NBC Saturday Night lineup of this time, uh, of this season was Amen, start of the night, followed by the Finelli Boys, then Golden Girls, and then this particular night, a Bob Hope special ran for a 90 minutes. Oh, uh, which oh pre- right. That's, this is when Golden Girls was on at nine. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's and right. that preempted, was- um, Empty Nest, Carol and Company, and Dear John, which usually aired in that hour and a half. That's a three-hour comedy block. Usually, you know, you would have four and then a drama. <laughs> like, yeah, right, right. That is great. And we just, um, I did a Carol Burnett show episode a couple weeks ago, and we just talked about Carol and Company on that one, which that did not last very long. Her attempt no, at a... No, it didn't. Uh, yeah. None of, the, none of the future, after the original show, none of the other things she did lasted very long. Well, and so, I mean... What what is up with Golden Palace? Just to like touch and like, that. <laughs> I mean, because uh, I remember when Golden Palace started, and I remember watching it. Uh, didn't watch it for long because it only lasted a season. I mean, I don't know. It's such a, I would love to watch that again. I wish that it would stream somewhere, just so like my morbid curiosity can. I know, you know, in. Lifetime aired them once, and they're hard <sighs> to find. Golden Palace, um, you know, Golden Palace almost lasted beyond that first season. It, they they thought they had their renewal, and then it got rescinded. So it, it really was on the bubble, as they say. It could have gone on longer. But the thing here's the thing that, and Mark Terry has said it so so beautifully. If you think about the theme of Golden Girls, it's that when you get older, your husband, you either you've divorced him or he's died. You have raised your children. You may feel irrelevant as an older woman. You, woman, you may feel invisible. But the, the great thing is that you are going to have this fantasy life of teaming up with three other similar women, become best friends, build a surrogate family. Yeah. You're going to have dates like crazy. Your old men, your handsome older men in tuxedos are going to be taking you to the volunteer yes. vanguard awards yes. every freaking week. <laughs> you're going to have, you're going to look great when you're woken up at two 30 in the morning and you're going to be perfectly perfect hair and makeup. And you're going to eat cheesecake and never get fat. You're going to have this fantasy life and you'll never be alone. And you'll never be alone. Yeah. And to the point where you talk about when, when you guys start getting sick or dying off, you'll take care of each other. It is, you've got this world conquered. And then the theme of golden palaces until one of you get falls in love with a man, ditches the rest of you. You have to sell the house. You buy a, a rundown hotel on, in South Beach. You have to work like dogs, including when you're in your 80s or late 80s, scrubbing toilets, making ends meet. Yeah. It really is a downer, and it undoes. It undoes. It undoes <laughs> all of the. I can Un- speak undoes it. Undoes it. Undoes. I can speak English. It undoes all of. The, I get so passionate about this. Yeah. No. <laughs> it undoes all of the good of the Golden Girls yeah. and of that message. Well, and also, so like Golden Palace getting canceled allowed Betty White to jump to Bob, Bob Newhart's third right. sitcom, which I have right. on DVD. Uh, Bob Newhart is my man. So, of course, I have that. Um, where they completely retooled that entire show because I'm also a comic book nerd person. So, like, Bob Newhart doing comic books was like, how did I not know this show existed? I enjoyed that show. I was uh, I was not happy that that show didn't get as much of a chance as it could have. And then they just retold it to be about greeting cards again. But Betty White was there with Jer Birds. Like, very weird. Very weird show. Yeah. Um, so, on IMDb, 242 randos rated this episode an 8.7 out of 10. Would y'all go higher, lower, or does 8.7 sound right for Sisters of the Bride? Well, 8.7 is a pretty good score, but I would say that I think this is among maybe definitely among the top 10 Golden Girls episodes. And so it depends upon where the rankings start, what the top rating is. If the top rating is 8.7, I would think (laughs) that, uh, you know, I don't know. 
but, uh, but this is definitely in, in my top 10. I'm giving it a 9.2. Yeah, I, 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 could go, I could go higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 9.3, 9.3, one dollar. Okay, sold. <laughs> yeah. uh, who had the must-see performance in this episode? Oh, gosh. I don't know, because they all did such a great the job with what they had, and the jokes were so evenly spread. I mean, I would say that if you're talking about dramatic content and dramatic acting, it's Blanche. Yeah. But if you're talking about comic delivery and making chicken salad out of, you know what, um, I would say then it's Betty. Because oh, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's a story that one of the, the director, Matthew Diamond, told me about. There's a line that Betty has, and she first understands that it's Clayton and Doug who are going to be the ones getting married. And not and brother and sister because the, they're from the South. Not brother and sister, right. <laughs> but it's written on the page as just, oh, oh, oh. Just the word, oh, three, uh, three times. But of course, they knew that Eddie was going to deliver it as, oh, oh, oh. You know, it's the, the way oh. she did it. And <laughs> it's just some of the, deli- the delivery about Agnes Bradshaw being dead. Dead, dead, dead. dead. And, you know, or she's <laughs> on her mantle. Yeah, I think in terms of Making the most out of the episode, it's Betty. Yeah. Well, Betty, and it she she displays a little bit of what she did uh, as Sue Ann Nivens on Mary Tyler Moore. Mm, yeah. When it's which dead, dead, dead muffin. Yeah. Dead, dead, dead. She, whatever she's offering, it's always she's doing something. It's like evil, sweet, yeah. and then it's so it's and and I and it's, it's sort of Sue Ann in reverse because <laughs> Sue Ann would be you know sweet and then evil you yeah. know and this is this is her thing. We exactly just did um we just did Will Mary Richards go to jail a couple weeks ago on the podcast right. and that is such a great Sue Ann episode because as soon as she hears that Mary's going to jail she's like oh theme party <laughs> like yeah. everyone can have little tin cups then clang around and she pulls Mary aside and is just like Mary you're being a real downer you know like it's so just Betty White is so good and people that only know her as like old lady that curses in SNL sketches I'm like. First of all, watch Golden Girls, but then watch Mary Tyler Moore because she's playing the literal opposite character and is as funny. Like, yes, right. It's it, she's a talent. Um, but I will give it to Estelle Getty. That's my okay. Uh, just because I love those like bend over backwards moment, like all the like really good zingers in this episode from Estelle Getty, and also Monty Markham. He's great. He's wonderful. Uh, he sat next to him at lunch at the Magic Castle. Oh, my God. About a year ago. Oh, yeah. my God. I just, I came home and I immediately posted on Facebook. I said, ask me who had lunch next to Clayton Hollingsworth. Oh, uh, so, I would die. <laughs> he was just on an episode of Murder, She Wrote that we had on the other night. Sure. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love him. Um, And, and lastly, must other people see this episode of television? Yes. Oh, I mean, I'm never going to tell people they don't have to watch yeah. the Golden Girls. Everyone has to. But especially, as I said, if I were to pick 10 episodes of Golden Girls that you had to watch, this is one of them. Yes. Awesome. Definitely. And also, as I said before, it's like if you meet some, if you're in the dating pool and you find <laughs> that you're, you meet does not like the Golden Girls, you could sleep with him if he's really cute once. But that's it. You cannot marry him. And if he goes, drag makes me uncomfortable. Well, you can't go out and you can't marry him either. Done. You, know, you can strip him, but you can't marry him. It's like, <laughs> you don't want to be stuck with someone like that five years down the road or ten years down the road. Hell no. Uh, thank y'all so much. Where can people find y'all on the internet and find out about all of your authorial entertaining endeavors? Well, I was going to say, if I could put in a pitch for something that nobody really seems to know much about. Many years ago, 
1996, I wrote a book. I had a book come out, and that's how I met Jim, called right. A Boy Named Phyllis, A Suburban Memoir. Last fall, I recorded it for Audible, and it really was a pioneering queer memoir. And you can get it, and I read it, so it's, it's really fun. And um, it's called A Boy Named Phyllis. And of course, there's drag you can get on Amazon, and, and there's an audio book of that as well on yeah. Audible, uh, where Lady Bunny is my co-narrator, which oh, is wow. a completely. So there's that. And also, if you follow me on social media, uh, I, I hope you won't be disappointed, but because uh, I take it seriously, and I uh, my job is making mirth, particularly at a time like this. So I try to mm-hmm. make people laugh every day, a bunch every few hours, uh, and uh, it's at Frank DeCaro Show. So that's me, Kim. And you can find Golden Girls Forever on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and in your local bookstores. And you can find me on every social media platform, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's just all Jim Colucci, Jim C-O-L-U-C-C-I. Brand and on, strength. His book is on Zulily. You know that site where you Ooh. go for like a, a tea towel and a, <laughs> you know, a gifty thing? It's like you put in Golden Girls and it's the first item that comes up. And I was like, Oh my God, Jim, you're everywhere. I love it. Oh God. Well, that does it for this episode of Must Have Seen TV. Thanks again to my guests, Jim Colucci and Frank DeCaro for dropping by talking about the Golden Girls with me next week. Continuing the Pride Month extravaganza, I'll be discussing the Roseanne episode, Dances with Darlene. Get ready for my Martin Mull feels. Uh, Dances with Darlene is in season three, episode 23, and you can stream Roseanne on Prime Video. Until then, I want to hear from all of you. Follow Must Have Seen TV on Twitter and Instagram at Must Have Seen TV. And let's talk about sitcoms. If you want to watch live streams of classic sitcoms, sometimes I hold my phone up to my old television in my office and play television on it, and Instagram doesn't shut me down. So follow the Instagram account for that reason. If you like what you've heard, rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Read the words that are right at decider.com, especially the article I wrote about this very episode. Thanks, A cast for hosting the podcast thanks to y'all for listening and i'll see you next time on must have seen tv hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.